Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with Cribs. Before we get into our next guest, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for an investment property, looking for the next high growth market and want to know how to secure that good quality asset, you need to talk to me and the team. We are looking across the whole Australian Eastern Seaboard, only work with the best developers in the industry, can help you secure that asset, do the cash flows, have a good understanding about where you're going to find that growth. So ultimately, secure that investment and keep on building that fantastic portfolio to achieve the long-term dreams. Reach out to the team, have a chat to me, and let's get into this next show. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Cribs. Today, I am very excited to have Mustafa here. You're from Sydney Business Chamber. Um, mates, you're the the Aerotropolis Policy Manager for Western Sydney Business Chamber. I've That's got that correct. correct. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Um, tell me, what what is it that you do over the Western Sydney Business Chamber? What is the organisation? Um, and then, yeah, how what do you do over there? Can, can tell us a little bit more about the organisation and yourself. So the Western Sydney Business Chamber uh, started seven years ago with my uh, boss, David Borger, who kicked it off with a vision to improve the economic well-being of Western Sydney. Back then, one of the first campaigns I actually started on was a second airport for Sydney with the idea of having it in Western Sydney. So that was a big campaign that they kicked off six years ago now, seven years ago. Um, and from there, we've, the Chamber's grown and it now represents over 115 of Western Sydney's leading organisations. Um, so we assist in advocacy for Western Sydney as a whole, as a region, as a region to live, work and play in a place that you um, don't have to escape from anymore. Because I think back in the day, it was a perception of once you make it, you exit. But we want it to be a place where you stay for life. That's interesting. Yeah. Because so yeah, I'm, I'm a Westie. I've been born and bred in the West. Uh, I, I kind of escaped it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I, I, all my family, everyone's come from Penrith, St. Mary's, Mount yep. Druitt. Um, and then I grew up a little bit in Bellwood. And then I've kind of, yeah, and everyone the, tried the to east, gradually go as east as you can, yeah. the east of migration. Um, so the promotion, you change a few, you know, a couple suburbs, suburbs down yeah, the train yeah, line, yeah. right? Um, so if I heard you correctly, Sydney Business Chamber is really about advocacy and trying to bring businesses together and especially here to bring them out west. Is that right? Yep. So it's the idea of how do we as both, uh, how, how does the business community work together to improve the economic well-being of Sydney to, to Western Sydney to be a better place to invest? but a place where you can also bring your workforce and have them enjoy that experience. Because mm. really, Paramount 10 years ago wasn't a place you wanted to move your head office. It wasn't a place where your workforce could thrive in that area. Where now you've got people like Deloitte, uh, NABs moving a significant amount of their workforce. You've got a, the public service that's probably going to have about 20,000 extra jobs in the Paramount CBD over the next three years. Three? Over the next three years, yep. Okay. So there's a significant change in the commercial scene in Parramatta and we're seeing that more broadly in the West. So the idea of Penrith and Liverpool potentially in the next 10 years having A-grade commercial space was something probably, I think probably five years ago, you'd be like, no, nah, that's never going to happen. Like, we'd never go that far out. And correct me if I'm wrong, is it Lang Walker building billion dollars worth of, or more than a billion dollars worth of commercial out in Parra? So that's Parramatta. So that's Parramatta Square at the moment. So yeah. there's Parramatta 3, 4... Six and eight that are all being developed, and they'll uh, Parramatta three and four will be done in the next probably six months. 
And okay. then you've got six and eight that will be done um, probably within two years after that. And that's going to be 54 commercial stories. Um, and when it's completed, it will probably be the tallest commercial uh, building in Australia. Very cool. How many people they want to house in all of that? So that's probably going to be about 23, 24,000 workers all up um, in the whole precinct. And that's just basically on the station. So that's probably within 300 metre radius of the station. So it's a significant change. Um, the floor space goes from 700,000 square metres to about 1.2 million. Um, so we've, we've seen an almost overnight doubling in commercial capacity. I'm very, very interested in talking to you because I've read a whole heap of reports. I think Deloitte's done one, PwC's done one. And part of one of the reports, I'm going a little bit off script here, so excuse that. And part of those reports, it, it looked like they had done case studies or Parramatta Council or New South Wales government had done some case studies into successful second cities. They had a look at um, Brooklyn, for instance, and some of the key things that they looked at was you needed to have the right sort of commercial zoning to activate it in a way that made sense. For instance, in Westmead, they're doing a whole medical thing. And in Brooklyn, they're doing a whole IT thing. And then I think there was another second seat in Amsterdam as well. Quote me if I'm wrong. But then there was also there need to be a, an active nightlife, which is what you're talking about. Parramatta did the, the stadium. Um, Brooklyn's obviously got its own stadium. And, um, you know, you've you've in many ways tried to emulate the success of other second cities and using that as a formula for Parramatta. And may I say, it looks like I've been watching that market for a while. It has changed and evolved over time. Yeah. Nightlife's opened up for sure. All that kind of stuff is happening. It's, it's not, nightlife in Parramatta is changing. Uh, it's still not what it needs to be, uh, but it's definitely changed. Bankwest Stadium has brought a significant amount of activity on game days. But unfortunately, a stadium brings activity on game days. We need to be looking beyond that. I think Parramatta's got a significant boost over the next few years. Uh, as ANZ gets renovated, there's all of a sudden 30, 40 extra games per year. But the nightlife really needs to look beyond that. And we're seeing a small change in some of the, the, the culture around small bars and nighttime activities. The council's appointed some key people within the council to actually help businesses set up. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen some... Parramatta's now got a rooftop bar. You know, you've got a, there you go. Nick and Nora's that's on level 21 that kind of... You get to have a look at the entire west um, from that bar. So the things, mountains. Yeah, things, things have really changed, but there's still a significant amount of work that needs to be done. And I think Parramatta Square actually goes a long way to address that. Um, they're going to have restaurants that will stay open to 11 p.m. on most nights Okay. Um, on the station. Like That's an area that I think in the last survey by council was identified as a place that people really don't want, didn't want to be after hours. Mm. It's a place that didn't feel safe, but all of a sudden you've got... 24-hour gym, you've got... Sorry, not a 24-hour gym. A gym that closes at like 12 a.m. You've got restaurants that are open to 11. You've got a significant change. You've got people that are on the station. So it's, it's brought a lot of activity to the area. Okay. So allow me to just reverse this a little bit. Um, and I, I just wanted you to quote to the Sydney 2036 Grand Vision. I'm sure you're familiar with that and done a little bit of work on it. The vision keeps changing. And I think um, it's a matter of now you've got the three cities approach, which is the Western City, the sorry, the Western Parkland City, the Central City, and the, um, the Eastern City. Yeah. And I, it's, I think the, the 2036 vision is going to be interesting, but I think what we've seen is the statisticians and projections have always been off in the future. So, In what regards? Firstly, population growth. We've, you know, if you had a look at the reports a few years ago looking at population growth, they've been off and they've been significantly underquoting where things are actually are. Um, and I think it's read, led to some really, um, not troubling, but suboptimal policy outcomes. 
where you've actually seen the Western the Western line that's now at 150 percent capacity during peak hour. Mm. Um, it's you know having when I previously worked in the city, it's not a train line you wanted to get on. Mm. You wanted to get onto it as soon as possible because by the time it got to Stratfield, you kind of had to push yourself in Tokyo style. Yeah, to, to to be able to get, or you have to wait two or three trains. So is that part of the reason why that they've expedited the um, the Metro West? I, look. I don't know if the Metro West has really been expedited. They, you know, a few years ago they were talking about 2028 would be a definite. Now they're talking about 2030. Oh, I see. That's, that's still a while away. That's still 11 years away. That's you know, if capacity goes up, if population, if the train um, passenger count goes up three percent per year, that over the next 10 years, that's massive. Mm. So we've 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 got some real structural problems at the moment. I think um, Metro West will go a long way to plugging holes in the infrastructure at the moment but doesn't really go to looking at the future vision like what do we have once metro west is built we've we've essentially freed up a lot of the capacity on the western line but what next how do we then have that visionary infrastructure that allows for growth tell me what's next well what, what, what do you, you see what would you like to transport say? 2056 yeah. it's about connecting Parramatta um to the to new western sydney airport it's about connecting bankstown to liverpool Mm-hmm. You know, we need to start thinking about those next train lines. Um, not again, not not we're not we don't want to play catch up anymore. We want to actually start building those next projects that will unlock um, a significant corridor, property corridor, um, in that south in the southwest region between uh, Parramatta and the airport. Mm-hmm. That really at the moment isn't really serviced by any strong public transport system. It's you've got the T way and you've got um, essentially a southwest train line service that goes from Liverpool to the city. In about an hour, so it's not really ideal either. No, um, or, or it's you got trains to Parramatta every half an hour from there. So it's, we need to start looking at the next projects that will allow that. And I think the councils have done some awesome work also at looking at um, trackless trams and new technologies around the Fifteenth Avenue corridor. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. So, what are some of these initiatives that councils are looking at? And what what aren't we seeing that you guys are that we should keep our eyes open for? Look, I think what I mentioned about the Fifteenth Avenue corridor. Um, it's if uh, are you familiar with it? No. So it's this awesome. Cor- so as part of the city deal and getting the um, airport going, they they have allowed some money for fast transit between the new airport and Liverpool CBD. Um, it's a nineteen kilometre corridor, and the uh, the goal is to get there within twenty minutes. Initially, it was twenty minutes between the airport and Liverpool. Why CBD? It's essentially allowing. Um, a quick exit from the airport to significant public transport, but also allowing you to access the key areas within the West. So being able to go from the airport to Liverpool within 20 minutes really makes Liverpool a lot more accessible. It becomes almost that edge city of the airport. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at the moment, they're looking at having essentially a, a tra- a, what's, what's called fast, a transport corridor that allows you to go pretty quickly, but also with new technologies. So they're looking at potentially trackless trams, light rail. They're already looking at that next phase that will allow a significant amount of um, development go along that corridor. And so we're looking at essentially what is farmland at the moment. It's Austral. It's, you know, uh, people are still growing their fruits and veggies out there. Um, I think I've got relatives out there that have got tomatoes and some blocks of land out there. It's all of a sudden going to overnight turn into what might be a one of Australia's leading urban regeneration programs Mm. um, or urban generation. So can we talk a little bit about... um, Population growth. I mean, you said that some of these statisticians are wrong. Um, all the stats that I kind of know at the moment sounds like Western suburbs are about two million, and then they're, they're projecting to get to about a, a million more 
over the next <clears throat> 20 or 30 years or something. You can talk to me a little about that and so the, who are these people? Where are they coming from? Have we got enough you know, housing for them? Let's, let's chat a little bit about that. So the projections have been off in terms of, I think they've, the population I think was expected to grow at like maybe 2.5%, 3%, whatever the number is, it grew about an extra percent per year, which had some significant ramifications. So I think we saw that a bit in the house prices. There was a significant undersupply of apartments for ages. Mm-hmm. So that really changed. Um, where people are going to be moving to might be the western city, but also to Parramatta. There's expected to have 200,000 extra people in Parramatta over the next 20 years. So these are people who are... It's, it's a mix of uh, immigration, generational change. So it's not just one clear, you know, these people all of a sudden are going to be coming from overseas. It's a bit of a mix. And Parramatta all of a sudden is a place that you want to be. With, with the powerhouse, the light rail, it's probably one of the best service parts of... Um, it would be one of the best-served parts of Sydney in the future, between metro, heavy rail, ferries, and light rail. Yeah. It's a form of transport that you won't be able to access within a 10-minute walk of the CBD. Okay, so just to rehash some of what you said there, we expect that, that population growth is moving faster than we anticipate. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a mix of different people. It could be migration. It could be, you know, um, intergenerational people moving in. Um, and... You've just described that it's going to be one of the most connected parts of Sydney with the light rail, Metro West, um, and the ferry. There were some rumours about doing some uh, lighter, faster ferries. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, look, it's something that we've begun advocating for, and it's something that Parramatta really needs. I think we've we've seen the, the ferries in the east and the north get upgraded and the fleet they've got significantly newer fleets mm-hmm. and you've got the manly fast ferry that's a faster service that allows people to get from manly to the cbd pretty quickly there's no reason why the west can't have the same thing along the river cap these are lighter vehicles that can travel quicker without creating the wash that would then be damaging the, the foreshore so what so would that look like what, what what is it so to all our viewers and listeners we, out we, there we, we want a service that can get you to the at the moment it's an hour and 10 minutes from Parramatta to circular key okay it's not really something you'd want to take it's, it's easier to walk 20 minutes to the station and then catch a half an hour service and it would be to catch a ferry from there. Certainly. So if we can see a service that's reduced by 15 minutes or so, I think it starts becoming a solution. It starts becoming something that, you know, you'd consider it in the morning. You know, if you live in North Parramatta, maybe maybe you want to catch the ferry, spend 15 extra minutes on the water, but you actually get to the city in a slightly more pleasant experience. Yeah, it's much nicer. I used to live in Balmain and, and coming in on the ferry was nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice Way less stressful yeah. than jumping on a bus. It's, it's cruisy. You feel like you're, you know, yeah. it's, it's maybe not something you want to do midwinter. No. But it's every other time of the year. It's, it's an awesome experience. Okay. Well, um, I'm keen to hear about more about this Aerotropolis. I read a report just the other day that we got Zaha Hadid. Is that right? They're the architects that yep. have come the on board. Got, yeah, yeah, and then you've got Cox that have come on. And, and what I found fascinating about this Aerotropolis and watching it evolve and change over time, one that is cool, you got Zaha Hadid because they've done the Beijing International Airport. Yeah. I don't know what it's called specifically, but um, it's absolutely stunning. If any of you are listening, watching, check it out. It's an amazing. That airport's become a tourist attraction. It's massive. It's huge. Yeah. And the fact that Western Sydney Airport's going to be done by these these international architects and the Cox local guys um, is really cool. Um, what I'm interested about, um, I know that you've got Lend-Lease, they've already started construction, there's a lot going on out towards this airport. But more than just the airport, what kind of impacts do you see happening in that area? Are there... 
Are there going to be impacts to the local communities? Do you see additional services being created? Will there be more commercial and industrial zoning? Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff around it. Look, we'll, we'll go back a single step and say, look, when the Chamber started the advocacy campaign six years ago, so the idea of having a second airport in uh, Western Sydney that will allow people to access good jobs but also you know, logistics and a few things. And that vision quickly changed from the airport to an aerotropolis and now to Western City. It's this whole city that's going to be built around an airport um, and to have 200,000 knowledge jobs within that Western City within 20 years. So it's a significant change for the local population. At the moment, there's 300,000 people who go to the east for work and 200,000 who come west. Sorry, and 100,000 who come west. So it's, it's 200,000 jobs that are you know really a deficit. So that's what this helps address. So it's going to have a massive change in the local population. You're going to be able to grow up in the area, study and then work in the area and, and do well. And the, you know, it was the old idea of, you know, you could kind of work locally if you wanted, but if you want to do well, you have to go to the east. That's where all the big offices are. That's where the jobs are. But now it's going to be the idea of advanced manufacturing. It's going to be potentially high-intensity agriculture. It's a significant change. What's high-intensity agriculture? Slight deviation it's, just it's, here. It's the idea of having essentially a vertical farm. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah vertical farm, yes. We, we, we had a conference um, earlier this year looking at what the Netherlands do. Yeah. Um, and they essentially are able to produce 10 times the yield that we do with 5% of the water that we use because of it's all aeroponics and hydroponics. You know, There's no longer this idea of having to put stuff in soil, which is also great for quarantine because doesn't have, most of the quarantine issues come from soil and soil contaminants. So the area is going to change. Um, and with that, you've got significant logistics operations that are going to be coming in. You've got commercial zoning, industrial parks that we're really looking at. Um, the idea of having people like BAE systems and defence manufacturers out there. So it's going to really change the landscape. You know, you're going from cows and paddocks to what might be, you know, they're looking at the 22nd century city and having those future jobs. That's interesting because I'm getting a real sense that you, policy makers and advocates, are using these green fields quite literally as an opportunity to make a future city in many ways by advanced um, farming methodologies and are you also looking at because there's some also some rumors of people trying to create advanced medical facilities out that way and and using this opportunity to reshape and change the way we see the western suburbs that's kind of the sense that i'm getting from you yeah look what's also really awesome is that you've got developers like celestino who've signed agreements with um this csiro and uts to actually do an urban living lab as well to look at best design principles and having that out there the idea of you know the west would get essentially the seconds of what the east and with a lag i think things are going to happen first in the west and then they're going to come back to the east so the having best urban living and having even technology around the heat island effect i think mm. you'd know that if you go to Pen today it's probably about six or seven degrees warmer in penrith at least so having look at how do you design cities around that to have better use of water and essentially ways to keep people comfortable in those areas is also going to be a real big change. Well, the technology is all there. I mean, anyone that's interested in property and urban planning and, and you know, future tech, Dubai has some big issues, but they're also building some of the most advanced mini cities that I've ever seen. They're running on solar power. They've got 
problems for the heat island effect where they've got like running gray water which goes through natural man-made um you know the rivers and stuff that gets funneled through the this is all stuff that you know and aware of so the, the tech isn't anything new it's just a matter of implementation right it's about bringing people in they're going to advocate use it and then what kind of i, th I think the the reason they, they haven't really adopted Yet the the Dubai heat, I think, is a bit different to Australian heat. Certainly, certainly. And so it's the other extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they're still trying to test out those technologies. And that'll be exactly what the CSIRO will be looking at in those labs. Okay. So they want to have a place where they can test out these that technology on Australian conditions and then they'll implement them in the area. And I think that's the beauty of having a greenfield site. It's you, You're able to go back to the very basic design principles and build everything around it. I think we know how disjointed Sydney is at times with the way streets are laid out, um, and how everything's connected. And I think this is a real opportunity to look at things from the very um, basics. So if, if we're seeing, and I'm starting to get a vision of this future city over in, in the western suburbs, and I'm sure there's all considerations that you've got for um, self-driving cars and all this kind of really interesting stuff. I'm interested to know what impacts will this western city or the aerotropolis will have on some of the surrounding suburbs? Do you think that they're going to be um, vital as a part of supporting the growth? Like are there going to be new inroads made to, you know, some of the satellite mini cities? And how do you see those areas changing? Like connecting ones, for instance, on the northern road, you get up to St. Mary's, Penrith and all of that. When you go south, you go towards to Liverpool. How will these areas change, grow and evolve as a result of that? I think ultimately the long-term impacts, I think, are to be seen. I'm not really sure where things will go. But in the, in the medium term, while things are being built, those areas will thrive. Because the workforce needs to live somewhere, needs to stay somewhere, and they're going to have to essentially commute through these areas. So they'll see benefits through that. And a lot of these contracts actually have a local content provision. That's so cool. You, you, you actually need to – some of the contracts requires 50% of the workforce to be from the area. So gone are those days where the tradies would be coming up from the North Shore and the eastern suburbs down the M4 all the way to the airport. Mm. They have to live locally, work locally. Um, some of the architecture projects require students or architects to be from the area. So this is really going to change and empower those local residents and it will really change the, the economics of the area. That's super interesting. Okay, so uh, we've, we've chatted a lot about infrastructure, population growth, how we see the area changing and evolving over time. Um, do you feel comfortable talking to some of the supply and demand dynamics that are happening with, um, you know, local councils and stuff? So, for instance, is there going to be an influx of too much property or is there not enough? There's always this constant debate where HIA will say we're not building enough and then you feel some sides of the property market that feel like, oh, there is too much. We shouldn't be building towers in Liverpool. Should we go in low density or low rise? I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and opinions on supply demand dynamics in some of the local councils. It's, it's, I think it's, it's something that needs to be, I think, properly investigated before it goes further because – some of these areas are massive. Like when you're looking at the whole Western Sydney and Aerotropolis, it's 11,500 hectares. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent of the entire Sydney CBD and more. I think it's from Circular Key to Moore Park. No, okay. No, even bigger than that. So these are massive areas that can hold hundreds of thousands of people if they chose to. Potentially, if some of these areas get train lines, um, depending on which developer you're talking to, they can build potentially 100,000 houses on their property alone. 
So the the idea of whether or not there's too much or too little, I think, is going to be subject to whether or not people will think that area is worth living in. And it's when those infrastructure projects become critical and having um, stuff like the urban heat island effect dealt with, having good design principles that bring people to the area. Because unless, you know, you, you convince people of that, it is still a far way out. Yeah, this is still, you know, significant, maybe 45 kilometres from the CBD. Mm. It's, it's, it's a big journey. So unless you have good local jobs that work, and I think that's something that will be seen over the next few years, you may... It, it can really change the the dynamics of supply and demand pretty quickly. Okay, so you're saying that the the demand for the area will change over time as a result of, you know, accessibility, key infrastructure, jobs. jobs. So once jobs, 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 I think is once that's what driven. Going back to yeah, if if they can get anywhere near the two hundred thousand jobs, I think there will be significant demand for housing out there. But it's a big target. It's it's not going to be an easy thing that they can do overnight. It's it, and they're knowledge jobs as well. These aren't just your you know, kind of school jobs you can just put there. Mm-hmm. These aren't your it's, – it's advanced manufacturing, it's doctors, it's hospitals, it's critical work. Okay. But it's also a far way out. So it's a, it's a bit of a mix. Okay, okay, interesting. And this is a little bit of a side sort of cheeky question because obviously in Cribs we're looking after clients trying to find investments in property, yeah. you know. Um, some of this is self-serving. I'm very interested in town planning and understanding about new technologies and how how uh, cities and suburbs will change and evolve over time. But personally, um, if you are a real estate investor, what markets would you be looking at within this sort of greater Sydney area? Where do you see the most opportunity in the next sort of five or ten years? Look, it's probably something I'm not that qualified in. Um, I see... I get to... My job's awesome in that I get to see what is coming in the pipeline and what the government may or may not do. Mm-hmm. And I think Parramatta, Westmead, is going to be an awesome area. And I think you know, with, with the powerhouse coming through, all the infrastructure projects, and what Westmead might be over the next 15, 20 years, I think it's going to be an awesome precinct. Can you so, just rattle off some of the reasons why you think that area is good? Look, uh, this, some of the stuff I mentioned, but it's also becoming a place that isn't that far from the east and is also heart of, you know, it's essentially geographically in the middle of Sydney. You can kind of go from anywhere at the moment in Parramatta, probably within about 45 minutes, the northern suburbs, eastern suburbs, all the way to Campbelltown, about 45 minutes. So for me, as a Westie, I, f- I find myself in the heart of the West, in the heart of Sydney there. Yeah. Um, but also, Westmead is one of the largest um, health districts in Australia. Mm. It's, it's only, there's a significant amount of jobs there. It's only going to get better with the metro. Um, there's some awesome greenery out there that will only get better as well with Parramatta Park. So it's almost like a place to be. But it's also a place that I'm quite familiar with. Okay. So caveat. That's, that's a caveat. That's, yeah. But I, I also do see some awesome stuff that's happening out in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and having you know gone to school in Fairfield, Liverpool's changed so much in the last ten years. Yeah. And I think it's only going to get better. The council out there is awesome. There's some awesome infrastructure projects coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've checked out the paper mill down there. That's an paper awesome. mill is beautiful. Coronation yeah. shout out. Yeah. You guys done a really good job over in your development. It's you. You kind of just step into this awesome world. You kind of lose where you are for a second you feel like you're alexandra grounds yeah. or you're one of these really really nice precincts they've done an exceptional job and i think that that's one of the case examples of how an area can change and evolve over time right yeah. um last question i promise I, I won't keep you here for too much longer um are there any good examples or cities or suburbs that that we could look at as like a case study to see how a place has changed over time 
Is, it, it, do you understand what I'm trying to reach at there? Like, are there any good areas that we could say, oh, well, that happened and how that changed is, is similar to what we anticipate? Or what are you using for your vision for that Western Sydney that we can, you know, help us to better understand how that area is going to change and look like? See, most of the examples I look at aren't local examples. It's fine. They look at, you know, East London, keep, they keep coming back to East London as the example of significant urban regeneration that's been done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not become the ambition, but it's become, you know, the easy place to look at and say, we should do some of that, some of this, where it's, you've got some urban, awesome urban regeneration, but they've also done it in a way that's cost effective. They haven't tried to, you know, gold plate some of the wires. They've done, they've done a basic job, but they've done it well. So, you know, instead of having a $6 billion light rail that's too expensive to do anymore and they kind of just scrap it, and I think Parramatta Light Rail Stage 2 might be looking like that as well. It's becoming potentially too expensive for the government, which will actually be quite a shame. Mm -hmm. But if you could do that project a bit cheaper but allow it to happen, so, you know, maybe we don't need a light rail that's as expensive. Maybe we need a carriage that's a bit cheaper. I think you kind of go to go to Melbourne and you see the trams there versus the ones that we're going to have here. And they are cheaper trams. Mm. They, are, they is, work. Yeah, they work. And they get people from A to B and, they, and that's all you need. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's going to be a thing that we wait and see. I think East London maybe isn't exactly what we need to look at in the future. Um, but I think you know maybe, maybe you do need to look at Brooklyn. Maybe you do need to look at some of those examples. Um, but I think yeah, that, that's what people are looking at at the moment. Cool. Mustafa, thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Been a pleasure.